Thanks for listening to the GCC Sermon Podcast. We'd love to meet you for worship on Sundays at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Visit georgetownchristian.org for more info. Hey, good morning, Georgetown. Happy New Year. Hey, uh, if you are a Bible reader, if you're new to reading the Bible, you're in Genesis probably, and I'm going to challenge you extra hard today to find the book of Haggai. And it's not a contest. I'm going to give you at least 10 minutes to find this. And if I were to give you a pro tip on this scavenger hunt through the Old Testament for the second shortest book of the entire Old Testament, I would say just go to the New Testament, find Matthew, and then just turn back a couple pages through Malachi, through Zechariah, and you will land yourself in Haggai. It is two chapters, and we're going to be in chapter one. A new year is is upon us. That means uh, new year and new me, new you, and new neighbors and new co-workers, and you guys know how this goes every year. It means a new everybody. Everybody has to go to the gym. You have to wait in line for the treadmill, or so I hear, for like 200 hours. That's what I've heard anyway. And it means that many of us um, have probably developed a new Google spreadsheet. Um, you You should not, do not raise your hands if this is you. Do not elbow your spouse if this is them. Some of us, love to make the spreadsheet and fill it with all the income, as little as it may be, and then fill it with all the expenses and make it total up to the bottom of how much we could possibly save if that other person would just stop having so much fun with all of the money that we're trying to save. Now, again, do not raise your hand. How many of you this week, maybe you have uh, found yourself in the grocery store in an aisle that is entirely foreign to you, and this aisle is called the produce aisle? Don't raise your hands, okay? Don't point to your neighbors. But some of us uh, in our bid for uh, increased health, we have decided that we are going to incorporate into our diets something that we have never incorporated before. And it rhymes with kale. How many of you have had a kale banana smoothie this week? Again, I don't want to see your hands. No one wants to see what that looks like. But some of us are willing to make decisions that we weren't willing to make that last year. It was just too difficult. And this year, we are ready because it's going to be new year and a new me and a new you. And I know that some of you can relate to the desire to, to be more healthy. You can relate to the desire to actually save for retirement this year. Maybe you've got other big plans in your life, and those big plans, maybe they're kind of like mine. I want to visit every state park. I want to visit every national park. Maybe you want to, this year, unlike last year, you want to rest every week, not just once the whole year. You want to rest every week. Or maybe some of you, like me, you want to spend more meaningful time with your family. A new year is a time for us to make new goals so that we can make a new me. Whatever your goal, whatever idea, whatever vision you have for yourself, it always requires us to to begin to do something differently than we did last year. If we want to be something that we weren't last year. You've all heard all the Zig Ziglar 
and all of the podcasts you could possibly stuff into your poor, tired brain that's full of kale and no sleep, and it hasn't seen a cheeseburger in a whole week. And it's difficult. I get that. But you guys agree that for the basic goal of I want to be healthier, we then need to um, increase our step count, maybe add a mile to nothing. So we're up to a mile now for me. Uh, for you, maybe you're adding a mile and you're all the way up to 10. And that's super deluxe. And you, maybe you also want to reduce the amount of cake that's going into your cake hole if you're like me. Uh, some of us realize there, just, there have to be these steps we take to be a person that we weren't last year that we want to be this year. And for some of us, that means that we're going to spend less and we're going to save more. And that means that if there's not something at home to prepare and not uh, the food in the refrigerator and the kitchen clear of debris and junk and trash and, and uh, a recipe on our phone so we can't lose it, then we're probably going to wind up pulling through a fast food joint again, and we're going to tell ourselves, I'll just get one cheeseburger for now and one for later. And if we, if we don't have a, a clear vision of what it's like for us to become the kind of person that we want to be in 2024, then we're probably going to end up being very much like the person that we were in 2023, we can all agree, say amen. So spiritually speaking, we want to grow to become more like Jesus. It's just that when it comes to spiritual growth, it's not as clear, it's not as evident what each one of those steps looks like for us to become more increasingly formed into the image of our Savior Jesus. So it sounds like this, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. And then you go home and you, you get your little paper of goals out, and you're writing, and you're like, seek the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and I'm going to uh, read the Bible. I'm going to listen to the Bible on the way to work. And I get to work. I'm just going to like hide in my cube and keep my head down and pray the whole time. And, and when work is over, I'm going straight to a Bible study. And I'm going to listen to the Bible on the way home. I'm going to fall asleep listening to the Bible. And I'm going to do it every night. It's difficult for us to get a handle on what it means to become formed into the image of Jesus, to become spiritually mature, or as our mission statement says, to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. It's, it's like if you grew up in church, you heard you put the Lord first, you put others second, and you put yourself third. And that, that sounds simple, and it's meant to be helpful, and I'm sure I've said it myself, but exactly what do you do when you wake up in the morning if you're trying to seek the kingdom of heaven first and his righteousness so that all these things may follow? It's just not simple. Becoming more like Jesus involves obeying him, and he sets a high bar. He summarized the whole law, all of the Old Testament that you're turned to right now. 
he summarized by this. He said, love that, read it with me, Georgetown, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So you're going to wake up, and Jesus is perfectly clear about what you're going to do. You're going to love God with everything that's in you. And that means that when you get out of bed, you're going to love right away. Um, loving. I guess. It's just not as clear. There's not a multi-billion dollar industry that is behind the idea of being formed into the image of Jesus that is advertising on television and on radio and on social media with the top 10 ways to grow in your walk with Jesus. While for saving a buck and for cutting calories, there are full industries behind each of those and you are going to be pumped full of what you should do if you haven't already last week, you're going to be pumped full of it this week. So today, and over the next three weeks, we're going to be exploring God's Word, and we're going to be searching for practical applications, steps that you and I can take. They're budget-friendly, and they're calorie-free, and they lead us to become more like Jesus. In other words, we bear spiritual fruit. We build up his church and we bring him glory. So today we're going to find that in the book of Haggai. So if you're in Matthew, if you found your way to the New Testament, you just need to turn back a little bit through Malachi, through Zechariah, and you should find yourself in Haggai. Chapter 1 is where we're going to start. Now Haggai prophesied to the people of Jerusalem. These people of Jerusalem had formerly been exiled because they were conquered. The wall of Jerusalem all the way around and the temple of Jerusalem were demolished about 70 years before where we are in the Old Testament. That's like 538-ish B.C. So I'm sorry, 586. And 538 is where we are. So it's been about 70 years. And the, the Israelites, these, these people who lived in Jerusalem, they've They've come back to their city that was formerly decimated uh, by Babylon. And they cleared the rubble off of the temple of the Lord. So they've cleared that entirely. They've laid the foundation for the new temple. And then they moved on with their life. And I don't know about you, but it's like January 7th, and you and I know that around February, we're not going to be waiting in line for the treadmill anymore, are we? We're not going to have any waiting, because these Israelites, I mean, we're talking about Israelites today. These Israelites, they just couldn't stay focused on what God had called them to do. So as the years passed, these Israelites who'd returned to Jerusalem, they had rebuilt their homes, they had begun to plant and harvest fields, trade had begun to grow again. We didn't have a Dow at like 38,000 points, but trade was beginning to flourish again. Maybe not amazing, but the city was coming back to life. Restaurants could stay open for the most part. Life was kind of returning to normal, although you could tell the city had been decimated. But the people of Jerusalem, I mean, we're just talking about the Israelites, they grew accustomed 
to their city without the temple of God. Weeds grew up around the foundation that they had laid to rebuild the temple. And those weeds were witnesses of the decisions, of the choices, of the behaviors that they, be, they, they then became habits and they became a lifestyle of these Israelites. Because, of course, we're, we're talking about Israelites this morning. And this is when Haggai appears on the scene and says, It's time to refinish building the temple. In verse 2, I'll read, and you can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses? While this house, the temple of the Lord, remains a ruin. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages, but then you put them into a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. He repeats himself. Give careful thought to your ways. Verse 8, go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Jerusalem had their mind on their money, and their money on their mind. Haggai, together with Zechariah, called on the people of Jerusalem to stop focusing on their own economic flourishing and to restore the temple of the Lord. The Israelites had, they'd fixed their own homes. They'd planted their own fields. They had restored their own homes, but they'd not rebuilt the temple. And just for some background, this is 15 years, friends, 15 years. Why wasn't the temple rebuilt? Well, Scripture tells us, and we're going to see three reason, or two reasons and one result. Two reasons why the temple wasn't built. And one result of the temple not being rebuilt. If you asked uh, these Israelites, our number one reason, our number one reason is the Israelites. Of course, we're talking about the Israelites. The Israelites made excuses. If you ask them why the temple was not rebuilt yet, uh, my guess is it would sound something like 
you know, we've been meaning to get down there, but we've just been so, fill in the blank, Georgetown, busy. Yes, we've been so busy, uh, but let me try to spiritualize it. You know, we have been praying about helping. We just haven't felt called to do that. Let, let me continue to spiritualize it for you. This is the Israelites, of course, what they would probably say. I'm just not gifted at stonemasonry, weed pulling, material gathering, reading the plans for rebuilding a temple, bringing people who are working water. I'm just, I'm, I'm just not gifted at that. You know, we have just, we've been so busy with our fields and our house. We've been meaning to get down there, but somebody's down there, right? I don't know if that sounds at all familiar, but I'm guessing that's what it would sound like if you ask the Israelites, why is the temple not rebuilt? The Israelites made excuses. Uh, there was an oil and gas manager, and he relates one of his most famous excuses he ever got from a person working on one of his oil rigs. It, he says, working on an oil rig in uh, far in North Dakota it, during the winter tends to weed out the riffraff very quickly. Uh, there was one day one of my workers said, hey, boss, I'm going to have to go home and get a warmer coat, and, and I'm just freezing to death, so I'm going to go to a warmer coat. And it was three days later that the boss finally got a call back from the worker who said, hey, I made it home. I got the coat. Uh, home's in Texas. Thanks, bye. The, the guy was sick of freezing. And if you're anything like me, you're sick of freezing. It's not even freezing yet. But we all have our excuses, don't we? I mean, the Israelites had their excuses, of course, didn't they? Sometimes it seems like making excuses is the easy way, and it's not. The writer of Hebrews says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who have been trained by it. It always seems easier to make the excuse, but when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, our withdrawal because of our excuse actually severs us from the relationship that provides us with strength. Our excuse separates us from the only one who sustains us. The psalmist wrote it this way, surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. He also writes, you, are, you armed me with strength for battle. Or the, the strength I need, the strength to stand in line for five whole minutes for the treadmill. But we're, we're talking about the Israelites, of course. So instead of making excuses, the Israelites, they needed to accept responsibility. Billy Sunday defined an excuse as the, the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. I love that quote. The skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. 
And Israel was full of excuses. As Jesus followers, we're, we're striving to become fully devoted. We want to look to one another and to the community like Jesus. I envision a, a group of believers who accept responsibility and instead of excuses, they engage. Instead of saying, I'm going to do that tomorrow, they immediately obey. And instead of saying, you know, I think I need to wait and pray about this, they jump in to what God has placed on their hearts already. They're already convicted. And they have a vision for what God wants to do in their lives. But instead, they make excuses. That's the Israelites, of course. They make excuses. Now, number two, the Israelites were selfish. Uh, similar to their excuses, the Israelites were selfish in their whole, their whole mindset. They were just selfish. And the Lord sent Haggai to point this out. This is in verse 4. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, the temple of the Lord, remains a ruin. Now, paneled houses could have just meant that these Israelites that had returned to Jerusalem, they had built something more than a thatched roof over their homes. So it's not a sin to have a house with a roof. It's not a sin to have a nice house. It's not a sin to have a nice house with a nice roof until you're so intently focused on your house and how nice your roof might be that you have ignored and entirely, you have disobeyed the command of the Lord. So it's not that the Israelites cannot or should not have a finished house. The point here is that the Israelites were selfish. See, their houses were finished. Their houses didn't have weeds growing up around them. The Israelites spent their time and their money and their, their efforts to not just restore their homes, but to then establish that base and continue a path of improvement. Improvement of their own quality of life at the expense of the entire complete and whole neglect of the rebuilding of the temple of the Lord, which is what they were commanded to do. A parent who's trying to offer solace to another parent whose students are struggling and not really getting very good grades talks about the importance of priorities. They say, you know, we think that if we can incentivize our kids to just prioritize study and make A's, it's going to work. So we've offered them $500 per A. And the other parents, whoa, I, we don't have $500 per A. And the first parent says, hey, you don't have to worry about it. My kids haven't made a single A yet. <laughs> some parents, some students, some Israelites, they've struggled with selfishness. And consequently, it has impacted their priorities. See, it was easy for the Israelite to, to return to Jerusalem, to live through the hardship of having to rebuild their house. If you've ever worked on a house before, I'm not like a super handy person. 
I tried to refinish some drywall in our kitchen one time, and it took me, it, well, we could measure it with calendars. Uh, and it looked great when it was done. It's just that it was multiple calendars. I could, I could relate to an Israelite who was just saying, man, I'm not real great at this. But what I can't relate to is an Israelite who spends so much time, so much money, so much effort on their home that it's not only complete, but now it's rather fancy. It's not a thatched roof. It's a paneled roof. All the while, entirely neglecting the temple of the Lord. And if, you, if we just... For one second, consider the important, consider the critical nature of priority. Uh, imagine you get a new car and it runs almost out of oil. What should your priority be when you realize it's almost out of oil? This is really self-explanatory for any of you who drive a car. The car needs oil before you go drive it off to Florida. But if those priorities are mixed up, you're going to get the oil when you get to Florida. We're going to do that later. You're not going to make it to Florida in that car. Our priorities are critical. And the Israelites were selfish. Their selfishness impacted their priorities. The Israelites, we're talking about the Israelites, their excuses... And their selfishness robbed God of his glory, and it robbed them of God's blessings. So this is the result of their excuses and their selfishness. Point number three, the Israelites missed God's blessings. And this is in verse 6 of chapter 1. The prophet Haggai says, you've planted much. But you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. And you earn wages only to put it in a purse with holes in it. The Lord is telling the Israelites through Haggai that their work is in vain. Their excuses messed up their priorities, their selfishness caused them to lose out on the most important thing, and that is the blessing of God. So while they were chasing harvest and food and drink and a better house and nicer clothes and higher wages, they failed to heed the command of the Lord. I bet it sounded like, I'm going to get to it, just not right now. I bet it sounded like, I need to pray about that. I bet it sounded like, I'm just not gifted at that. And sometimes that's true. And sometimes that's an excuse. And sometimes it's selfish. And every time, it caused the Israelites to miss out on the blessings of God. So here's the result. Haggai says in verse 7, the Lord invites these Israelites to respond. So Haggai says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought 
to your ways. And if you're following along in your Bibles, you can also see in verse 5 where he says the same thing. Now, when I stand up here and repeat something over and over, you start to catch on really quick and you're thinking, he might, he might be trying to make a point. Haggai says this twice. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Now, in the, in the first week of the new year, already passed, but in the second, third, and fourth weeks of the new year, you and I, and probably most of our neighbors, we're, we're really keenly aware of our own excuses. We are prepared for our own self-deception, our own rationalization, the, the propensity that overcomes us when we open that vegetable drawer and that kale's like, help me. You know, it's on its last leg and it's really soft. And you're like, oh, I don't want to eat that and get sick. Oh, gosh, that would throw me off my health goals. Guess we'll have to go get some fast food. Maybe I'll just eat one cheeseburger on the way there and on the way back and when I get home. We are very keenly aware of the way that we deceive ourselves. We rationalize and we justify. And this is why we have to have the ingredients ready and the menu right there on our phone and the kitchen ready to cook. And it's why God says through Haggai, give careful thought to your ways. Examine your ways. Consider why you're doing what you're doing. Filter your list of priorities through this question, what is your motive? What is the heart behind, I'm going to save more money. I'm going to become healthier. What is the motive behind these lists that we've developed? The Israelites' excuses and selfishness robbed them of God's blessings. Are we prepared to examine our ways? Are we ready to give careful thought to how we arrived at the list that we've been diligently working on since January 1st? How have we tried, successfully or not, to fit in seeking his kingdom first and his righteousness. A professor is, he's known for helping his freshman class understand on the very first day the import of daily study of the material they cover in class. He does this by on the very first day going through the syllabus with his students and then giving them a pop quiz. And they hate it. And they know it's coming, so it's not much of a pop quiz because they've heard it from the upperclassmen. And it's the end of class, and he says, all right, students, get ready for a pop quiz. Whispers 
of incredulity, cursing through clenched teeth. It's the first day of school, you already have a quiz, it's ridiculous. Students couldn't believe their ears, rustling in the backpacks, pulling out paper, pulling out a pen. The professor, meanwhile, carefully placing a one-gallon glass cylinder on the table. And then as the students watch, he's placing rocks. They're fist-sized, and he's placing them a couple at a time on the table all around this clear glass jar. And without a word, he deliberately and carefully now begins placing these large rocks into this glass jar very carefully. It's glass. Students are on the edge of their seats. And he says, how many of these rocks do you suppose I could fit in this jar? Furious writing on their papers. These students, they're going to pass. They're ready. They knew this was coming. Let's find out. One by one, he carefully placed them all into the jar until it's to the surface, even in that jar. And the professor then asked all of the freshmen, now is the jar full? And they look at the jar and they're like, they've got got their pop quiz, they're ready. Then the professor reached under the table and he pulls out a bucket of small gravel. And with one hand, he's pouring it into the jar and with the other hand, he's gently shaking it. And the gravel's falling down in between the larger fist-sized rocks. And he says, is the jar full? Well, the students are still holding on to the pencils, and they're starting to think, no. He sees the head shaking, nodding. The professor says, good. You guys are catching on. He takes out a bucket of sand, and he starts to pour it slowly as he gently shakes that jar. And the sand works its way down in between the larger rocks, and the smaller gravel, and after the sand is settled, the professor once again asks the students, now, is the jar full? And what do the students say? No. They all shout it now. He said, good. He's really happy. These students are showing promise. There's a chance they're not all going to flunk out before midterms. So he finally pulls out a pitcher of water, and he slowly pours the pitcher of water into this glass jar that's filled with rock and gravel and sand and he fills it to the brim and he says what's the point of this pop quiz and a brave student down front ventures a guess and he says well professor um, if we work really hard we can probably fit uh, more study into our day but the professor says no love that answer but here's the point If you don't put the big rocks into the jar first, they will never fit. Next week, we continue discovering what it looks like to put God first in our lives. Because it's not going to be advertised for us this week. We're going to have to uncover this in the Word of God. But today, it sounds like the Israelites need to watch their excuses, stop being selfish, and they need to carefully give thought 
to their ways. If you have come today because you resolved to become more like Jesus this year, we're so happy you joined us. In the next three weeks, we're going to uncover what it looks like to put God first. Practical, meaningful, budget-friendly, and calorie-free ways to seek first the kingdom of heaven. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, maybe today's that day for you. Maybe the Holy Spirit has pressed into your spirit, spoken into your heart and said, Today is the day that I'm calling you to join me. Maybe you've been looking for a church and you just heard today there's a class called Membership 101. It doesn't make you a member, but it tells you all about what it looks like to be a Christ follower at Georgetown Christian Church. That sign-up is in the lobby. Well, you'll find it at our Next Steps booth where you can discover what your next step may be as you seek to put Christ first in your life. Would you pray with me? Father, by your spirit, help us to put Christ first in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.